BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022. Investments like acquiring America's largest biogas producer, Arkea Energy, and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Well, hello everyone and welcome to the Spin the Rally Pod. I'm Colin Clark. As you can tell, Lisa O'Sullivan is still doing incredible things at the Winter Olympics across in Beijing. So it is just myself this morning. We've got George Donaldson with us as ever. Good morning, George. Good morning, Colin. And and here we go, folks. We've got uh, what, a little bit of fresh blood, someone new to give us their perspective on rallying this morning. Uh, once again, by the way, it is a Scottish podcast for you because it's Alistair Lindsay all the way to Edinburgh. Alistair, good morning to you. Yes, good morning. Glad to hear it's an old Scottish lineup again this morning. I do get the feeling that David Evans was uh, browsing the streets hoping to find someone random to pick up and unfortunately couldn't find anyone, so just slotted me in instead. But I'm happy to be here nonetheless. Alistair, it's fabulous to have you, but honestly, the only nationality on this podcast is rally. (laughs) This is is gender-neutral apolitical it's rally that is uh, it's a religion it's a nationality uh okay it's not a sex but but it's basically gender neutral rally as george. far as i'm concerned so there you go it, but it's, it's, it's apolitical george until we get on to electric vehicles and saving the planet but let's not get on to that let's not get on to that alistair um you're obviously one of our our very fine contributors to dirtfish.com but um introduce yourself tell, tell our audience a little bit about you and where you've come from and and uh, your love for rallying. All right. Well, um, I spent most of my childhood living five miles away from Lanark. So naturally, you know what driver comes from that uh, part of the world, Colin. It meant I was a massive fan of uh, Marcus Gronholm. Oh. <laughs> uh, not, not Colin McRae, strangely. I don't know how that one works. But uh, yeah, uh, I guess the, the fins going fast sideways is, is what got me into, got me into rally. And, uh, you know, started getting involved in a bit of rally writing back in 2016, five, six years ago. And now I'm part of the Dartfish crew from this year, which is fantastic. I'm loving it. Yeah, wonderful. Well, it's great to have you on board. We, we do enjoy your readings. By the way, I've got a funny story, a funny story about Marcus Gronholm. It made me chuckle, George. And, and as you know, um, the strangest things make me chuckle. I, I've got a very good mate in Australia, a guy who makes um, a TV program I work on in Australia. Very, very talented producer, presenter, cameraman, all the rest. <laughs> and I went to his offices last time I was down in Melbourne. And he's got a dog. He's got an office dog. And it was the tiniest little sausage dog. Tiniest. And I mean tiny. Long-haired sausage dog. Never seen one before. Very cute little thing. And he said, he said, Colt, he said, I've always named my dogs after motorsport personalities. And I went, oh, that's interesting. I'm thinking, who, who could he name this one after? It's a tiny wee dog. He said, what's his name? Marcus. <laughs> I had a dog called Marcus Colin. The tiniest dog you've ever seen, named after Marcus Gronholm, the tallest driver you'll ever see. Um, I just thought it was funny. It made me chuckle, Georgie D. Indeed, indeed. Mm -hmm. I had a dog called Marcus before I knew Marcus. There you go. Did you? There you go. Anyway, 
Anyway, let's move on. Let's move on. <laughs> Reminiscing about days in offices in Melbourne. Uh, let's move on. There's been a, a few things happening in the rally world in the past week. Obviously, FAF. It wasn't, was it Sarah's de FAF? What, what, Alistair, give us its, its full title. Oh, now you're asking. Oh, boy, oy, oy. Okay. Uh, rally, Sarah's de FAF Efelgeras Eboticas. Aye, think. that's the one. That's the one that I happened think. at the weekend. We'll, we'll come on to that one <laughs> shortly. But uh, the, the news at the end of last week um, about the appointments at the FIA, Andrew Wheatley's appointment as head of rallying. Uh, you know what? Was it a surprise? Well, I'm not sure it was. You know, Andrew Wheatley's done a great job since he was uh, appointed to the FIA. Well, it was a few years ago now. Um, and the FIA, in my view, needed a little bit of stability going forward. Someone who knows knows the ropes. And, and yes, they could have been a bit a bit brave, a bit ballsy and gone for the likes of an Adamo or someone like that. But they've gone for Andrew Wheatley. And George, you, you've known Andrew for a number of years. He is a very, very good operator, a safe pair of hands. The right man for the job? It, I, I'm not sure if he's the right man for the job because I don't actually understand what the job is. But I would say right. that Andrew Wheatley is a very, very fine guy. And every time I've had any sort of discussion with Andrew about any technicality, he's given me great insights and and also a great a great opinion. Although I would understand that in the past that opinion was given to me from a commercial point of view of Malcolm Wilson. Uh, but um, th that opinion in itself is pretty valid anyway because um, it's made to be commercially viable. So. Um, I'm, I'm sure that Andrew uh, it, it is basically the right man for the job. Um, I'd love to know exactly what the job was and what his remit is. I'm sure it's quite broad. So I, I imagine that he'll do incredibly well, and I certainly wish him all the very best. Yeah, I, th I think we do. I think, you know, the most important thing going forward, I think, for, for Andrew and the FIA is to get the next set of regulations right. Um, and, uh, you know, to get the next set of regulations right... You know, there are quite a number of interested parties, and you've got to make sure that each of those interested parties is is properly given uh, you know, the input that they deserve, that they require to invest tens of millions of euros into the WRC going forward. It, it's a critical time. It really is a critical time, and that's why I think you know if, and I'm not saying they have, because I think I think you're right. I think he is the right guy for the job. If they haven't got the right guy for this job, and Andrew isn't able to get a, a set of regulations that actually address what we need to do going forward, then, you know, then in my view, rallying at the top level is stuffed. We're completely stuffed unless we oh. get it right. So, the, so there is massive pressure on him. I think yeah, in that yeah. context, Colin, I, w I wouldn't have any issue with and Andrew. He'll absolutely exactly. not let anything down. He's not a man that would ever drop the ball with anything, in my experience. Great understanding, yeah. steady pair of hands, able to pull people around the table. When he speaks, it's always good sense, a complete a complete statement, not partial statements. So, he he in in my view, he could be a, a really nice breath of fresh air, and I hope he is. Yeah. Alistair, what what about your view? Do you do you think the M Sport connections are going to hinder him or help him at all in in that regard? No, I don't really think they're going to matter. I think uh, no matter who you hire for that job, anyone who's actually going to be qualified for that position is going to have a connection to a current team, I suspect. If you look at Formula One, for example, people who've had uh, senior roles there have usually come from another team. So it's just it's just part of the nature of motorsport, really. You're never going to be able to avoid that. The, uh, the thing I'm thinking about also in all of this is that the man directly above him, the man he reports to, is very much a rally man this time around. I'm not familiar with um, Mr. Bear's um, 
history and involvement in rallying who was uh, Maton's boss before the, the new election. However, of course, we have Robert Reid, who is um, Andrew Wheatley's direct report. And from the sounds of a press conference he did back in Monty, he is getting very hands-on with figuring out what the future of the WRC is, what the new set of regulations are going to be like. So it's not just that, that Andrew Wheatley is there as the new WRC, sorry, not WRC manager, that was his old job. He's not just there as the new FI rally manager, but he's got a direct report as deputy president sport who knows this sport inside out and looks like he's going to be taking a great deal of care about what comes next. So I look it as almost a sort of package deal. You've got a continuation of the old regime who's completely plugged in, knows what's happening, knows what's coming, and then you've got Robert Reed getting stuck in and, and putting forward his vision for rallying as well. Mm. Yeah, no, I, th I think I think there's, there's sense in all of that. There really is sense in all of that. Um, you know, Matt on, Matt, it doesn't matter who, I, I, you know, that, that name that you just chucked in at me there. Who was that? Who was Matt on's boss? I always thought it was John Tott. <laughs> yeah, but it kind of seemed like he was paying more attention to Formula One half the time. Well, yeah, no, well, that was the problem. That was the point I was about to make. Mm. You know, John Tott was very much the man who, who directed rallying for the last 12 years or so. He, he, he dictated the direction that we were going in. Um, and he, he was very autocratic. <laughs> there, was, there wasn't mm. an awful lot of, of debate. There wasn't an awful lot of opinion being sought because Tot knew the way forward. And, and, and we could debate this endlessly as to whether his impact in his 12 years in rallying was, you know, as we expected. Was it better? Was it worse than we expected, John Tot? I don't know. I, I personally, I think we stagnated for 12 years and we really didn't make too many um, moves in the right direction, for example, because, and I agree with you, Alistair, because I think Tot was very much sidelined by, by Formula One. And don't forget that during that 12-year 12 12-year 12 tenure, Formula One was, was deep, deep, deep in trouble at one point. Deep in trouble. It was, it was losing popularity. It was losing audiences. It was launching concepts and ideas that just weren't working. And then along came Netflix and saved the day. Uh -huh. <laughs> but, you know, we're in a strong position in that regard in that we have President Ben Salaam in place, who is a rally man alongside, obviously, um, Robert Reed, um, you know, and Ben Salaam doesn't have to focus his attentions on Formula One. You know, he can't take his eye off the ball, but he doesn't have to focus his attentions on Formula One because Formula One's in a very healthy place right now. So, you know, I, I'm, George, I, I'm hopeful. I'm hopeful that with that team, with that structure, that, that we can get the, uh, you know, the regulations right and that we can get this, this pyramid of opportunity right, which clearly Wheatley's been involved in at M Sport for years. And that we can get rally back on track, but but it's 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 a job that you know, people have been trying to do for for two decades now, and and with very little success, George. Mm -hmm. Yep. What can I say? Just yep. That's a that's a a, 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 a quick precy of an answer what, what, there. Yeah, but what what do they have to do then? You know, after you've had your wee sup of tea and, and given that a wee bit of thought, what, mm. what is the most critical point in all of this? Oh. Um, can I jump in and give um, yes, George do, a bit of do. thinking time? Yeah, I think, George, I think I everybody might appreciate it. It's too early for George. It's too early for George. I can't believe that. Too yeah, early amazing. for his brain's not working yet. Amazing. I'm right. doing two jobs um, here, Colin. Sorry. I <laughs> I'm doing a David. I guess that. Well, no, I, I, I think half the ahead, problem. Alistair. Yeah, I think half the problem we've got here is figuring out what the road car market's going to do. You know, there was that was part of the discussion with uh, with Robert Reed and Monty is what is the future of the regulations going to look like? And the answer is, even though it needs to be sorted out in about three years' time, is we still don't really know because we have all no, these different no, technologies in the mix. No, 
let me stop you there. It mm. doesn't have to be sorted out in three years' time. It has to be sorted out in six months' time, uh, a year <laughs> at the very, very most, because it takes two years, three years to develop these cars. They have to have a direction in the next, I would say, at the absolute outside, the next year. And it, it does put pressure on them to, to understand mm-hmm. the car market. Mm-hmm. Precisely. But, but it's critical. And, and electric isn't ready yet. It doesn't have the range. And, and no one's going to come up with that miracle solution within the next six months, as you point out. Hydrogen isn't far along enough as a technology yet, as far as I can tell, as, as far as I can tell from, you know, speaking to a few different manufacturers over the course of the past year. Um, and that's not a mass market option either. So any team that wanted to come into the top level, well, they don't have a product to promote with that kind of technology right now. So it seems to me like there's a perfect storm of no alternative to the internal combustion engine is actually ready to go and be part of a top level rally car yet. There's nothing obvious to replace it with. So we, yeah, you're allowed. We need something in six months, but it doesn't look like there's going to be any alternative to hybrid available in six months. Well, I'm going to chuck something in, and George, if you get a second mm-hmm. to think about it. Yeah, I'm, 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 I'm on it now, Colin. I'm going to chuck something in here. It's something we discussed uh, maybe a little while back. But I think there's the potential now. <laughs> you're going to hate this, George, because you're a rules man. Um, you know, the, is, there, is there the potential to have flexible rules and some sort of handicapping system uh, so that we don't go with a rigid set of rules that say it has to be hybrid, it can't be ice, it can't be hydrogen, uh, whatever, it can't be full electric. You know, allow the manufacturers, as they are doing in Dakar, to come with their concepts and say, this is where we want to go, um, this is what we think the future is, this is where we want to prove our worth, because rallying has to be a proving ground. It has to be a proving ground. It's the greatest proving ground for, for the motor industry in the world. No question about that. So allow them mm-hmm. to prove their products yep. in our championship. And yep. come up with a way, and it's difficult, it's absolutely difficult. It's like, like George, the debate we had last week about, you know, how do you, you know, how do you deal with a driver who's had to retire because of the, uh, the problem with the hybrid unit? Well, you know, or it would be too difficult to say, well, just give them a, uh, a super, not a super rally, give them a notional time because people will play the game. Well, yeah, they will play the game, but it's up to the regulators to, to be on top of that and to see through that and to, to, to find fairness in, in any kind of appeal that's there. I would say it would be the same with some sort of handicap system. If you allow manufacturers more breadth to come in with their own concepts, and then you have to somehow equalize the performance. That's up to the FIA. I think that's one option, but it's, it's, it's probably an option too far, to be honest. Well, uh, hand, handicap's not a word that we like to hear in, in rally at no. all, Colin. No. It, it no. ne- nev- never existed. We've got classes, and it generates an overall winner. Occasionally, there, there, there are times where the classes mix up, you know, on very snowy rallies, unexpected conditions, all sorts of things that can happen. So handicap, I don't think, is a solution for, for our sport. It wouldn't e- exist... Um, and, and meld very well and currently the next problem you've got is that obviously the the um the rules have to reflect the way that the technology is going and as alistair's pointed out the the technology is still in a flux state we're probably um you know 20 to 25 years away from an all-electric future nominally i think if if it can never be achieved um um so so that technology is certainly not necessarily um, going to mature in the way that we expect it now. And and to add to that, so you've got to, you've got to go with the industry, check with the manufacturers what they want. Uh, that, right. That's absolutely key. So at the moment, we've got 
effectively three manufacturers in the sport. Uh, Ford, um, quite quite well committed, but still not fully committed to a rally program. They obviously don't feel they're getting enough out of it uh, to to fully commit, which is hampers M Sport to some small well, extent. George, at least can I stop, in, in can terms I stop you there? Can I stop, George, yeah. can I stop you there? You yeah, you can. Your thought because <clears throat> I had a good chat with the guys who were uh, more or less at the top of the Ford Rally program from Ford Motor Company in Monte Carlo. And, you know, they, 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 they told me they get a bit tired of that accusation because what they said, what they said is this is the way we do motorsport. We make cars for the commercial market. That's what we do, you know, as Ford Motor Company. And we do it brilliantly and we've done it brilliantly for 100 years, whatever. We are not a motorsport preparation company. So wherever we get involved in motorsport, what we do is we go to the experts and we, you know, and we, we subcontract the motorsport. And, and it's true, and you look at Ford's, involvement in motorsport around the world in america and australia and the uk and it's it's preparation companies they bring in so so you know they, they do back m sport and they do put the money into m sport it is not a full manufacturer operation because that's not what they do that's not what ford do and and you, you look back and they've rarely done that okay they've, they've well I, I understand your comments colin but but that's not quite true they've not rarely done that they, they had a ford factory rally team from from the, I, I think at least that I'm not quite sure when Borum started. I would have suggested it was more or less uh, pre Mark One Escort. They had a factory team driven from the factory, uh, at a facility called Borum, and they worked there yeah, up yeah, until no, up until the uh, a rather disappointing end when it when it sort of it it, it disappeared into into um, um, a, a sort of. A, well, it, it just disappeared from existence. It must have been ninety six, ninety seven ish. When, of course, and then Malcolm took it over. It ran with a Belgian outfit for a short time. That was a total disaster. Um, uh, really, uh, that's maybe a little bit unfair. Um, and I apologise if it's a little bit unfair to anybody that was involved in it. But it didn't. It wasn't fruitful. And then it switched to Malcolm. And again, it obviously had the funding. Let, let's call it not. Let's not call it lack of uh, manufacturer backing. It's it's lack of uh, full funding to, to be able to get the driver line up to compete at the top level because that's always been a key element of rally and it's missing at M Sport at the moment. Um, and and that's well documented on 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 the Dirtfish uh, pages. But no, the, the, to go back to that. So there are three manufacturers: Ford. Uh, let's say they're fully committed, uh, which it sounds like they are. I apologise for any um, misconception I gave. We've got Hyundai, and we've got um, we've got Toyota. Now Hyundai uh, almost seemed to falter last year. In they were very very active in following through with the the. The hybrid regulations, and then they faltered and took a long time to make a decision. Was that a point at which they were maybe thinking of stepping out of the sport? I'm not sure. I, I genuinely don't know. Um, I certainly hope not. Because it was actually players. just to just to uh, mention that quickly, uh, they they were looking at Le Mans at a potential program uh -huh. there that was openly admitted yeah. that they were considering just yeah. saying, you know so, what, we're better spending off our money elsewhere. Yeah, yeah, but. Um, I mean, if they're seeking, if, you know, if, if if they're getting tired of rally because of the, the lack of uh, perceived dominance or success, don't go to Le Mans thinking you're going to get that. You could go there for 15 years and not get anywhere. Uh, speak to Toyota about that, uh, based out yeah. of a, a place only a few hundred kilometres from where, uh, from where uh, they're currently based. 
in Germany. So um, yeah, don't don't uh, don't think you go to Le Mans and instantly win either. Um, I think they're they're a good dominant force in rally. But we we digress. The point being is that um, you've got to follow where the manufacturers want to go. But the manufacturers can disappear. That, that, that was actually the point I was going to make. They, they, they come and go. Um, mm. So it's quite a difficult balance to strike. And that would come down to commercial astuteness in, on the behalf of FIA to understand who the potential players are. They, they may have to take a gamble on, on who will join and build the regulations towards that. But from that point of view, um, now that we now that we focus on that type of uh, comment, Colin, I, I think Andrew Wheatley is the right guy, absolutely the yeah, right guy to figure absolutely. those things out because he is astute and he's a considered man. He's a thoughtful man in my in my opinion. I, I, I like Andrew a lot. Um, yeah, so, I agree, um, George. Yeah, yeah, so I think I think he's going to be good. He is fully immersed in the, the, the manufacturer experience in rallying, isn't he? You know, that, that's, yeah. that's where he comes okay. from at M Sport. And, okay. and, and I agree totally. Yeah, sorry. I, 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 think, I think that's it. And at, at the risk of getting bogged down for another 20 minutes and we'll run out of time yeah. just talking about Andrew Wheatley, I, I'm, I'm sure he's the right guy. I don't really know what yeah. the job is. Okay, you've, you've, you've lined me up in six months. They've got to have the framework of a set of regulations valid. Okay for three years' time, um, and uh, I imagine it will be uh, some sort of evolution of what we currently do. That's the, That would appear to be the only way it can go. Uh, current cars are pretty fabulous. Um, I'm quite happy with them. A little bit disappointed with the lack of centre diff again. We've gone back to these tractors. Now, um, again, uh, I'm not quite sure why we did that, because technically most of the teams would rather see that uh, active diff in the uh, in the cars, in my opinion, because because they like technical things, um, but f uh, it 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 seems to work very very well. Um, we've got three teams now getting very very close on an even par. Um, we could debate that further, of course. Some people think that Hyundai are further behind. I think they've probably. Um, they're probably a little bit closer than we than we thought they might be, which is great, um, and they'll be developing at a, an incredibly rapid pace. And we know from the various comments we've heard that, that they are working very hard. So yeah, bottom line is um, get those guys on side. I think the sport's just going to have to evolve. It always has more or less just evolved. The only major step that rallying's seen since I since I was uh, involved um, as a fan, you know, going back to when I was seventeen. Um, the uh, was the end of Group B when Group B ended at the at the end of '86, and we went back to Group A. So that would be the equivalent right now of stopping all all the the WRC one cars and dropping back to something more like Group N than even than even uh, the 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 R uh, the R five cars because it was that big a step backwards. We went from Group B back to standard production Group A cars as they were, but Group A at that point was still a lot of standard stuff on a car. Um, wow. So yeah, and that was that was 1987, and it, it took and about I, <coughs> took about two I years for the cars to get back up to very very good horsepower. Yeah, but let's let's just talk a wee bit about that. Um, mm -hmm. I, I know we're going to move on to the rally at Faf, but that that for me is an interesting thing to to perhaps have a look at. Um, Alistair, you're a little bit of a historian of the sport as well. You know, group B to Group A. Now, you know, in terms of looks, uh, probably in terms of performance, in terms of the spectacle out in the stages, uh, you know, it was very, very different. 
But in terms of the popularity of the sport at the time, did it drop off massively? Or do people still want to see the best drivers in the world competing? Okay, they might not have been in, in the most technologically advanced rally cars in the world, because they couldn't be, because Group B had proven to be too dangerous. But they were still the best drivers in the world. We still had good manufacturer presence. They were still doing the best rallies in the world. And they were still competing, you know, tooth and nail with each other. Uh, was that enough to keep the sport popular? What's your thought on that, Alistair? Well, I would have to say from personal experience, clearly it was because the Group A era is when I started following rallying. So if, if it was no good and it was no not interesting for fans, I don't think I'd be standing here right now talking on this podcast. So Absolutely. it's got one, one fan at least. George, George are you, what, what's your view on that? You, know, you were there. You were right in the yeah. heart of it. When we dropped from Group A to Group B, because here's a point I'm going to make. You, know, you talked about the centre diff. For the fans, the lack of the centre diff on these new cars makes bugger all difference. Absolutely, all absolutely difference. none. And, and no, no, Colin. The, and, and the, the, prob the problem is... The... Yeah, Sorry, go ahead. go ahead. No, I was just going to say, you know, there's, there, there's an argument. I've heard it many times around the service park that you, you give development budgets to engineers and they go and play with it. They go and play with it. They go and play with it and, and, and it becomes massively expensive. It becomes massively complex. It becomes massively involved. And it also becomes massively, massively quick off as well. <laughs> well, it can do. So, it can. Do. I've, so, I've, so seen, I've seen. I've seen that very thing, of course. But um, the, the the bottom line is, Colin, that um, uh, it was a massive. It was a massive change in the sport. It, it it went from ridiculously spectacular to. I mean, that first event, that first uh, Monte Carlo rally, uh, would have would have appeared relatively dull to to the spectators. Um, right. Uh, in in one sense, but in another sense, it literally only took. Was it just? Was it pretty well just about a year? Maybe maybe it was as much as eighteen months before we saw these Group A cars beating the old Group B cars times on stages. Yeah, it was it was it was amazing. It was amazing. So you think of the first Lancia Delta HF. Um, uh, and and then you instantly had Ford instantly changed. They they they, they played with the four wheel drive V six uh, Sierra four wheel drive, uh, and then they very quickly opted on the two wheel drive Sierra, which within three years became a four wheel drive Sierra, which uh, in turn became a four wheel drive Escort, um, and and uh, you know it moved on with the times. And th those cars ended up with you know three hundred and seventy, three hundred and eighty, four hundred horsepower. In fact, more, more than that at one point. So, so my point here, George, is, and we're talking about the regulations, we're talking about the job that Andrew Wheatley has in front of him, is that it's not necessarily a bad thing to take a step or two backwards. It doesn't necessarily mean that the sport will die and the sport will, will diminish. OK, we're going from a, a very different situation here. You know, in, in 86, when, when Group B was banned, 87, uh, you know, sport was, was perhaps, you could argue, at its absolute peak of popularity. We're not in that position. Um, but to take a step or two backwards and to become more focused on the reality of, of motorsport at the top level, which is it's there to sell cars, you know, so we go more, yeah. more production based, mm. may not be a bad thing because we go production based or more production based. We bring in an extra, even two manufacturers. If we're lucky, we bring in an extra three manufacturers. All of a sudden, bang, the sport's back up there again. You've got manufacturers spending money in the sport, promoting yeah. the sport, opportunities for drivers, for young drivers around the world thinking, hang on a minute, 
I prove myself here, there are manufacturer seats available. The yep. whole thing snowballs, and I well, think it may Colin, take a step or two backwards. Uh, well, Colin, um, I, I was, I, I, if you remember, uh, I think in in this podcast and certainly uh, in conversations over the years, I've, I've I, I, I pointed out that the R5 car uh, yeah. is a perfectly good um, um, candidate for exactly that. Uh, nearly all the manufacturers have got one. Um, of course, Toyota haven't. They've, they've, they've not focused on that yet that, that we know about. Um, the, uh, and and th there's a car that, that basically costs uh, well less than 200,000 euros. Um, yeah. Could you add the hybrid yeah, no, package think, to that? I don't yeah. see why you couldn't without too much difficulty. I think the, the, the current concept of the car, the engineers love it, the teams seem to like it. Uh, by all indications, it's reduced costs a little bit, but it's also somehow made it slightly more elite. Um, and and you know, if we're, if we're talking about equal opportunities and and all those all those drivers with with opportunities uh, with with talent to try and generate the opportunities, certainly it would do that. And uh, and and you know, just in the flavour of uh, of of Women's Month here at Dirtfish, you know. Um, yeah. That there's there's yeah, a yeah. window of opportunity um, absolutely. F for absolutely. for that opens it up to anyone with talent really and and we do see mm. that so maybe a good point to move into uh, into mm. rally I, rally de faf yeah. <laughs> I, well no I, just before we go there I wanted Alistair's views on that on the R5 because I know that you've been mm. uh, involved in that debate in the past on whether or not a rally two car could replace you know the rally one car for example in new mm. regulations in three years time. Um, uh, very quickly, Alistair, you, you, yeah. you're on that one. Yeah, no, it's 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 a good uh, point to raise for the R5s because I was just thinking, actually, is this the time we need to shift the core economic model of rallying? Because you look at the problems that we have. That's a bit much for this time in the morning, uh, Alistair. I, I, uh, yeah, I know, it's, it's brave, but I'll, I'll, I'll give it my best shot to keep it nice and Go simple ahead. for everyone who's bleary-eyed. Um, yeah, no, but the, the thing with the R5 is that the it's much, much easier for a manufacturer to justify all the effort of designing, homologating a car and having the marketing program around it because the return on investment is so much easier to clarify. You sell a car, you get money. That makes sense on the bottom line of the accounts at the end of the year. And you can't do that with a current top spec Rally 1 program because they're just too expensive to sell to customers. You're not going to sell many of them. It just makes sense economically in my mind to, to have the top level structured where even if they are spending the extra money in the marketing and so on, they're not going to suddenly vanish because um, someone at headquarters thousands of miles away is like, oh, we're sinking all this money into marketing and I can't see exactly where the return is. Whereas if it's a, a, a program where you can sell a customer-based car on top of that, that aspect of the program can help pay for the whole thing and it's going to get the manufacturers to stick around for longer. So yeah, I agree that R5 Plus of some description could be something to look at just because it might provide extra security to make sure we have more manufacturers involved in the long term. Yeah, and then yeah. I, know, I know, Colin, just to close that one up from my point of view, yeah. the manufacturers may object saying, no, we, no, we can only justify this... this uh, this model, if we're winning rallies, well, yeah, you'll, you'll always win rallies because the, the, those cars will always be at the bleeding edge of, of, um, of the development, and and we employ the best drivers. So, um, and and as we know, it doesn't matter how good the car is, if you're not if you're not got the best drivers in it, it won't give you the results. So, the 
but because there's more opportunity for drivers to come in in almost identical machinery they will the, the cream will rise to the top and you will you will employ those drivers as factory supported drivers or or actually as factory contracted drivers and you'll get your results Fabulous. so well, yeah, I think we Malcolm Wilson think can run Malcolm Wilson's run yeah. what seven eight maybe even nine cars out of his he factory has. operation you know good for him that's the way to do and it there's a sustainable yeah. model that, that's the model that's worked in the past that's clearly yeah. the model if we're talking about an economic model you know, Absolutely. you have the support of a manufacturer, limited support, but the support of a manufacturer, and you make your money by running customer programs. Yeah, go for it. Uh, yeah. Listen, boys, what I think we've done here, I think we've just saved Andrew Wheatley six months of sleepless nights. Oh, have actually. You're welcome, Andrew. You know? <laughs> <laughs> right. Let's move on. Let's move on. Uh, Alistair, you were very much involved in watching, well, the, the dawn of a new era for the ERC mm -hmm. at the weekend, the first round of the 2022 European Rally Championship. Now, as I mentioned on last week's podcast, I I'm struggling still to get excited by the ERC. But did it excite you? You spent lots of time watching it. Tell me what you made of it. Tell me what you made of the rally, the production, the quality of the entry field, all of those things. Tell me about mm. it. Well, the first day was certainly entertaining. It was um, shades of Rally Portugal 2001, the, the very infamous edition where um, Tommy Mankinen won by a mile in, in an absolute mud bath because he was running first on the road. And that was very much an element at play in this rally as well. It was central to why Mill Solons was able to disappear up the road almost two minutes on the first day because he'd picked smartly first on the road. Um, overall, it was it was good to see the pictures. Um, we haven't had that in, in, in live time for ERC before, uh, not really. There were a couple of attempts to stream it on Facebook in the latter years, but it was, uh, you know, a bit patchy, um, sometimes a bit difficult to follow. Whereas they've got the full, it seems like they've got the full level of kit in ERC now that they do for the WRC Plus production, which is no surprise because it's the same team running everything. And that was a big benefit. The, the, I guess the shame was that, um, you know, as you mentioned, it's it's a little bit lacking top line drivers, and so some of the gaps were perhaps a bit bigger than you'd hope for, just because you know you've got a big mixture of professional, semi professional, amateur drivers, and that naturally means you're going to get bigger caps than in the top level of WRC, where you have these full on professionals who've been doing this for years, and they're so tightly packed together. You had a bit more field spread in ERC because of the nature of the drivers that were there. Mm. Well, here's the thing, Alistair. Here's mm. the thing. Here's the thing. You know, the ERC has been uh, just bouncing around for a little while um, at a level. And, and I don't think, and OK, it did enjoy a resurgence when Eurosport took over the promotion of it, but, but only a resurgence in terms of the amount of TV time it got. Um, but it's been bouncing around, and I'm not sure really that we've seen much of a movement in terms of its appeal over the last decade or so. I don't think there's a magic wand for the ERC, I really don't. And I don't think all live, great as it is, is that magic wand, because I, I don't think, I don't think adding top quality live broadcast to the ERC is enough to make it appealing. I think there are other elements that need to be considered with the ERC. And, and Ian Campbell, who's you know, a friend of ours, friend of the programs, uh, and is in charge of the ERC now, has got a very big job to do. It does help that he does have this, this, this basis to start from with this wonderful coverage uh, from the WRC promoter. But there's a big job to be done there. And it, to, to me, it's a lack of direction. You know, what, what the FI have tried to do is they've tried to force upon 
rallyists or the young rally uh, community this concept that the ERC is the stepping stone to the WRC. I think that's nonsense. I think that's absolute nonsense. You know, if, if I was in charge of a young driver uh, who had aspirations to be a, a WRC driver, uh, there is no way I'd put him into the ERC. I, I don't see any benefit whatsoever. Now, uh, what we know about rallying is it's about experience. You do the bulk of the ERC rounds, they will never be in the WRC. I would rather a young driver do four rounds in the WRC and six rounds in the ERC, probably a similar cost. I think that's one of the issues that they've got. You, know, you cannot force a situation onto people just because it suits you, which is, you know, it does suit the FIA to say this is our stepping stone to the WRC, but in reality it's not. There's something missing. There's, there's a step in between that's missing. You know, I think you have to prove yourself in the ERC. You then go into something else, which then proves yourself for the WRC. And that's what the IRC was. The IRC was, was that, that step between the WRC and the ERC. You know, How do you see a difference there, Colin? It's the same, I see a massive basically no, the same no, George, type no, of event, the same, same concept. No, no, it was very different. You look, you look at the people when IRC was popular. You, you had your Meeks, you had your, um, your, who else did you have? You had your Meek, you had your Mickelsons, you had your Neuvilles you had uh, your Hanninans, you had some great drivers who had, who had shown promise, who had shown promise in the WRC. They'd won the junior WRC, uh, but they, they weren't as yet punching and saying, yeah, you have to pick me. What they did, they went into the IRC, backed by local manufacturers, uh, by importers, sorry, um, and they won the IRC, and the WRC team started looking at them saying, yeah, Meek's a good bet, yeah, Hanninans a good bet, yeah, uh, Neuville's a great bet, so is Mickelson. You, know, you, you wouldn't do that with the current winner of the ERC. And I know what they're saying is, yeah, ERC, then you go into the junior program. But for me, there's a, a, a real problem with the concept that they're trying to force upon young drivers, the ERC. It's not been thought through because it's not, for me, it's not kind of linear enough. As yet, there's, 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 you, know, you get so far, you keep the steps, take the steps, take the steps, boof, you fall off the edge and you're lost. Is that a bit harsh? Yeah, I, I, I think it's I think it's an extreme interpretation, personally. Yeah, I, I mean, I agree a little bit. And, and you talk about the importers. Well, my argument would be if the importers still wanted to get involved at that kind of level of rallying, they'd be doing it already because Hyundai Team Portugal were there. They were out in force with three cars, and they're not. They're, they've got no interest, as far as I can tell, having spoken to Bruno Magalhaes, in, in committing to to ERC and looking beyond their own country. They don't want to. Ah, they just want to stick because, to their because nationals. There's nothing that, no, Alistair, that. That's... They've got no interest because you know it's it's what you talked about earlier in terms of the economic return. It doesn't pay. It doesn't pay. You know they've got no interest in supporting a Bruno Macalés, who's a great driver. Make no mistake about that. We saw him regularly in the Group Endes. Um, you know, but it doesn't pay because there isn't that high enough uh, return from something that's appealing enough. I, I I genuinely think that we are missing something in this yeah, ladder of opportunity. Um, but you mentioned yeah, ladder, and that's un unfortunately that's what we're stuck with now because it's never going to be you know that that kind of level we had briefly the glory days in IRC when we were going to the Monte, when we were going to San Remo, when we had all of those importer-backed Peugeots and Skodas and what have you. We're not going to get back there because it's now not a competitor anymore. That that element well, of competing I, I against know, WRC is gone. And I, I, I know we're not getting back there, Alistair, but we need. Mm to find something similar and a similar concept and a similar, uh, you know, a similar level of competition that allows WRC manufacturers to say, yeah, actually that guy that's won that, that series 
is is the right guy for me you know I'm, I'm just not seeing it in ERC and I'm just not seeing it as a as as, as the right way forward mm. for young drivers George if you are a young driver you've got 200,000 budget yeah which mm -hmm. might might get you if you're lucky it might get you a, a full ERC in well it probably wouldn't I say probably no, wouldn't get no nothing yet. like it yeah nothing like say half mm -hmm. a million um, you know, it might get you, and it, it might get you seven rounds of ERC. Might only get you four or five rounds of WRC. What would you do with your young driver? Um, I would tend to go for WRC. It depends on the level of experience, Colin. You, you'd actually want to do both because it is all about mileage. And if if you can do the ERC more simply, uh, more cheaply than a WRC, then great. You know, do the ERC. It's lot. Look, I mean that that Rally de Faf, fantastic. All oh, right, the Faf's a great. You know, you know, great great experience. And you know, they're they're going to go to where where they're off to the islands, aren't they? They're off out to not Madeira. Um, Azores, yes, Azores. Azores, yeah, which is an amazing event. Uh, beautiful island, actually. Um, incredible stages, very very unique. But but. Uh, not necessarily a valid uh, environment for the rest of the WRC, but that but that level of experience of going there and challenging that and, and, and surviving it, beating it, overcoming it, is all about the making of a rally driver. So uh, it's just it's it it's just simply a question, Colin. I would spend my my euros, my dollars, my pounds, getting as much miles as competition miles as I could in the simplest fashion, whatever. Now, coming to WRC is slightly complicated, very, very restrictive, uh, although the regulations are better now than used to with Super Rally. It means, you know, if you retire on the first day of the rally, you can come back on the second, which is great because you keep getting the mileage. Uh, but I suspect that uh, ERC might be easier again, less, uh, less um, I don't know, moribund with with instructions and key and 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 restrictions and costs I, I guess is the bottom line so yeah i would i would be getting the mileage but the other thing of course is media coverage now i mean the, the biggest difference i see between irc and now what we have erc is coverage irc it was on tv it was on live free to air tv now it's on a subscription channel uh which I mean, nobody actually knows how many viewers they've got. I know they've got me, and they've got you, and they've got uh, they've got Alistair, probably Luke, um, and and a few other people I know. Maybe, maybe um, I don't know. Fifty percent of the people I know in rally have subscribed, but I, I'm I'm not quite sure uh, just how many other people bother with it. And uh, that was a huge benefit to IRC was they had that fantastic media machine going mm. free to air. So I would say to WRC. I I think you need to follow the example of that, guys, and get it onto get it onto terrestrial TV live. I, I agree with you, George. I agree with you that, that that you know that that is one of those elements that I think is still missing. Now, you know, it's it's, it's not fair. It's hundred percent not fair to judge anything after one round. Mm. Um, and and I think what we can say is, as Alistair's already pointed out, the quality, the production quality, of what was put out there to the subscription audience uh, was fantastic. Uh, really fantastic, as 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 we wouldn't expect anything less from the WRC promoter. But you, know, Alistair, you, you you followed it, and and I'm sure you followed the online uh, community. Um, now, the online community, by the way, for me, is not a great gauge of of popularity in terms of where we're going, because the online community tends to be completely invested in rallying. Um, mm -hmm. You know, what we're talking about here is is, is spreading the word. Is is you know, 
being the gospel, spreading the gospel of rallying. Making um, it interesting for manufacturers, Colin, make, isn't it? Making it interesting for manufacturers yeah. who make it interesting and, for and their customers, and their customers might not be rally fans, but they will become rally fans. Yeah. That is what we mustn't ever lose sight of. But in terms of the online community, who are already invested, Alistair, what, what was the feeling there what, about the, 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 the start to this year's ERC? Mm. Um, I'm not going to lie, I was so focused on the um, the action itself, I, I, I made a point to pretty much ignore social media. <laughs> yeah, I wish I, had, I, I, tell you, I wish I had done yesterday, I got involved in the right old ding yeah, dong. I tell you what, though, bro yesterday. Mm. Uh, more, more broadly speaking though, I think the challenge that they've got in terms of attracting new fans, which you also mentioned, how do you get the kind of the guy who's not currently a hardcore invested rally fan? The main issue you've got is that there's a there's going to be a lack of consistent narrative across the whole of the season. You really need that to attract the casual fan in. You need to have personalities who are there week in, week out. Because if you look back to how, you know, youngins get involved in, in motorsport and Formula One, they idolise one driver or two or three drivers, but it's the driver a lot of the time. It's not necessarily the car. It's not necessarily the stage. They find someone to look up to. And you're not going to yeah. get that in ERC because it's it's what you mentioned about splitting programmes across WRC and ERC. That is what's happening right now. You look yeah. at the entry list for the rally that's just been gone. You had Eric Seiss that was there. You had um, Georg Linnemey who was there. Those were the quick guys. And they're not showing up for most of the season because they're focusing on their WRC programs. They're doing exactly like you said. So the problem is you're not going to have many drivers left over who are actually doing the entire season, who can become the central figures of the championship and be drivers that people follow because the majority haven't been able to stick and commit. And, of course, yeah. you've got the problem that Nil Solens, who's leading the championship and does want to do the whole season, currently can't because he's got no money. He had the money to do it and said, right, that's it, I'm out of money. Someone needs to, to uh. give me some more funding or we're done here we're packing up and we're going home yeah 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 that's that's that that for me is is, is a really interesting point and it goes back to what george said you know you, you mentioned building characters building the narrative and you do have to have a core of drivers who are committed to the championship to do that you also have to tell the story beyond beyond your subscription channel very true. Uh, well, that's know, what the promoter. We, we, that's we, we, what the promoter should be doing, isn't it? That's the job of the promoter. It's it. not just. It's not just a, honestly a very linear TV feed without Correct. even graphics on the bottom telling you which driver it is, um, on on a particular stage. If you look at the highlights from the WRC page, you know there's there's, there's a lot of in car. There's very little out of car, and uh, as we've talked about on this channel uh, on on our podcast recently, we're not seeing. A, a, a great perspective from those in-car cameras. I don't quite understand what's gone wrong with them, uh, but we're not seeing I've the right perspective. You, I, looks, I know what's gone wrong with them. It looks stopped. I know what's gone wrong with them. They've got too good. I mentioned this before. They've got yeah. too good. They take I understand what you're dynamics. saying, but uh, maybe, maybe that's it. But I think it's just a simple matter of perspective, it looks like to oh. me. But, you know, I'll, I'll, I'll bow to people that know more about it than me and actually have all the facts because I haven't got all the facts. But uh, right. it's it's not looking right to me. I'm, I'm not enjoying it. That's but, not but acceptable. No, no, that's not acceptable at all. And, and you know, you made the point on the last podcast, George, about Sweden and the fact that you know, some of the fan <sighs> footage you saw in Sweden was just absolutely blow your socks off phenomenal. Yeah. And then you watch some of the official footage. Yeah, it looked pretty and the, the scenery was great. The snowbanks were great. The cars looked spectacular in the snow. Uh, but they look spectacular standing still in the snow. You know, we didn't get that dynamism that we saw from the fan footage. There's, there's a lot to work on. There's an awful, awful lot to work on. But for me, the ERC is work in progress. And, and I, I'm not 
you know, I, I'm not a fan yet, and I'm, I'm yet to be a fan, but I'm open. I'm open to becoming a fan, but I, I, it needs to be sold to me, and it needs to be sold in the right way. Um, and, uh, and, and right now, right now, I'm not sure. I'm really not sure, but I'm going to give them time before I, before I absolutely fall off the boat and go and find something else to follow. What do we think, boys? Mm. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. Well, yeah. I don't know. Okay, so ERC ERC um, coverage needs to be needs to be free to air, not not yeah. subscription. That's that's a given to make it popular. Um, yeah. it, free to air on. Uh, I mean, it, I think it needs to be on TV. It needs to be in people's houses. There are enough people actually, you know, bothering via their sky boxes or, or whatever way they they get their their TV in the house. Are they bothering to search to find these things? These obscure. Uh, sports, if you like, or obscure channels, it might, it might be difficult to find. It's, it's got to be, yeah. Th th it needs it needs to be more attractive somehow. Uh, and I think you 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 touched on it, Colin. The the promoter needs to be building up the characters and making the stories, making making it uh, as interesting for everyone as it is to us fans. Yeah, absolutely, yeah. absolutely. So, uh, Alistair, you you are ERC man for the rest of the year. So you know, get your um. Get your ERC hat on and go do some digging for us and see what you're, the plans are. You're a one-man promotion, uh, <laughs> promotional tool now, <laughs> Alistair. You need to you need to make it. If no one else is doing it, we should do it. Dirtfish should do it. Get, yeah, make characters absolutely. out of these, you know. I'll, I'll start, I'll, yeah, start, but being, we'll, start being tabloidy and go for it, mate. Yeah, yeah there's, a, there's a good team in charge there. You know, Ian Campbell's a good operator, so you Absolutely. Know, let, let's, let's see yeah. what they can do. Let's see what they can do going yeah. forward. Uh, boys, it's been, a, it's been a fun early morning chat. I have enjoyed our discussion this morning. It was nice to have you along, Alistair. Hopefully you've enjoyed your, uh, your debut on Spin Indeed. the Rally Pod. thank you very much. And Georgie D, you were, you were slightly distracted at one point, but you're a busy boy. Only for, only for one minute, Colin. Only for one minute, uh, and I paid the penalty for that one minute of distraction. But at least I wasn't packing a suitcase like, uh, like right, Mr. Evans, who's, who's yeah. he'd been across. He's been across in Seattle for our women's month, hasn't he? Oh, we, oh, we have to mention that, of course. Yes. We have to mention that before we wrap up. We, we, uh, David has been. He's been across in Seattle. Now I thought he was out there for another day or two, but apparently he is at this moment possibly driving up the uh, the M40 on his way home. I think he was flying home last night. Um, but yeah, what, what, what a women's month we're having. Uh, you know, Alistair, you've been involved with that as well in terms of you know, the content going on the website. There's been some great content, hasn't there? Yes, indeed there has. And it's, it's such a wide cross-section as well. You know, you, you think about uh, women in motorsport, you're obviously going to focus on the drivers, but there's such a wide cross-section of people across a bunch of different roles. You know, the marketing for the, the rallies. Um, we spoke to Marta Gasparin from Pirelli. Um, a lot of stuff with uh, Rihanna and Gail Samino, for example, the co-driver. So it's not just, you know, sit in the car and go. It's There's a whole array of, of jobs in motorsport where women are succeeding and and they're really showing they're they're just as deserving yeah. of being there as anyone else. Yeah, I think I think the real value of the Women's Month for me is the fact that it's it's actually showcased that because I think totally. rally rally yeah. specifically uh, is a great place for 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 women. Uh, yeah. uh, it's definitely an equal op opportunity sport in that it's just as horribly difficult for a girl as it is for a boy. Um, yeah. The uh, but at the same time. Any 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 woman that that shows the skill uh, has a place, and I mean I know Rihanna and Gelsomino is in in high demand. You know, uh, lots of drivers would like to have her in the car because she's such a driving force. She's a fabulous co-driver, 
and and it the, the, the gender it, it has nothing to do with it except it's always nice to be sitting next to a girl than a bloke I guess there's there's that too uh, but I um, mean God what a powerful co-driver she is and what a force she is and you know I, I've I've known a few drivers that that she's co-driven for and they all speak so highly of her saying she's just brilliant so you know um, I think it's just showcasing. These, these these are not breakthrough individuals. These are established, powerful industry mm -hmm. figures, and what a great opportunity to just introduce our sport more broadly and, and get and get more of the same. That we we exist here. We are come and join. Yeah. That, that you know, there's a great opportunity here for you. No, and, I, think, and I think that's that's that was very much the kind of mm -hmm. uh, the motivating factor behind your know, Jose Rimmer's decision to to run. In particular, the Women in Motorsports Summit that ran ran last week, and that that by all accounts was a tremendous success. Um, you know, they had I think ran about 50 delegates on site at Dirtfish, just outside Seattle, and many, many more joining online. And um, fingers crossed that will become an annual thing. And it's uh, you know the, the 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 day that we don't have to have a Women in Motorsport Month or a Women in Motorsport Summit is a great day. You know, where we don't have to talk about these things as, as being necessary to bring women into our motorsport. But we're a long way away from that. And we need we need things like you know, the Women in Motorsport Month, the Women in Motorsport Summit right now. Um, and I think Josie in particular is doing a wonderful job in promoting that. It's been a great month. Uh, boys, we're going to have to wrap it up there because I said I gave us a time and we're now seven minutes over. We're seven oh, minutes crikey, over. Colin, you're oh. incorrigible. I know, incorrigible. I know I'm, I'm, Lisa O'Sullivan would never have let this happen. Yes, she would. Yes, she would. <laughs> she really? likes to think she wouldn't, but she would. Lisa, <laughs> right. we love you, but but actually, sometimes you, you know, you're, you're not as you, you're much nicer than Colin portrays you. What can I say? Yeah, Lisa, that's not what as I'm to say. as I make out. You're yeah. Quite right, uh, boys. Yeah. It's been fun. Listen, folks, if you have enjoyed listening to myself, to Alistair, to George this morning, and you've got anything to add to the discussions that we've uh, that we've been enjoying on on the FIA, on Andrew Wheatley, on the ERC at Dirtfish Rally, that's our Twitter handle. Send us a little note there. At Dirtfish on YouTube, have a look at our channel there. If you haven't already subscribed, do that. And uh, there are plenty of videos for you to enjoy there. So yeah, at Dirtfish Rally on Twitter, Dirtfish uh, is the channel on YouTube. Um, make sure that you join the debate there. Boys, it's been a great morning. I've very much enjoyed it. I'm off on the school run. We'll speak to you later, George. Absolutely. I'm, I'm looking forward to a chat later. I've got two things to ask you. So, I've got, oh, and Alistair, Alistair, I'll put you on the list the same as Luke. Uh, lunch. All, all I can say is we're only 60 miles apart. Lunch. Yeah. yeah. Fantastic. Lunch is find, a good one. Find, I, find lunch and had, a catch up. Boys, Absolutely. I've just had a very angry little face popping around the door. So Get out of here, Colin. Colin, See you go later, away. boys. Bye Cheers, guys. Bye, Bye, Alistair. Bye.